Well, good morning, church. Good morning again. It's so good to be with you. We are beginning today uh, a new summer series. We're calling it The Language of Prayer. Uh, we're looking this summer at the book of Psalms, but we want to look at the Psalms not just as uh, another book in the Bible that is just giving us information or doctrine about God, but actually as a tool for prayer. That right smack dab in the middle of the Bible is a prayer book, a prayer book that, that the saints of God have turned to for millennia to teach them how to pray, to give them a language, a fluency in prayer. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this summer, Psalm by Psalm. So um, if you would open your bulletin or your Bibles to Psalm 131, I'm going to today just more give an introduction to the book of Psalms, but then I will um, use Psalm 131 at the end just to give some instruction about how to pray the Psalms. So let's, let's pray as we go to God's Word. Father, we thank you and praise you for your faithfulness and for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have met us already here today, calling us out of the stress and the strains and the burdens and the sorrows of life here in this place, remembering what is most true, that you are God, that you reign and that you love us. Help us now to hear your voice. Open our hearts to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I did not bring my... Can you hand me my, uh, that bulletin? Just your bulletin. Can I just have your bulletin? Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that, bro. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. One of my favorite novels in, in the world is The Brothers Karamazov by the Russian author Fyodor Dostoevsky. And there is this famous story, this famous chapter in this book where Alyosha is having an argument with his big brother Ivan. Alyosha is a monk, he's a very tender-hearted young man, and his brother Ivan is kind of a hot-headed agnostic. And, and Alyosha is trying to persuade his brother in the goodness and the mercy and the kindness and the love of God. And Ivan responds by pulling out this collection of stories and newspaper clippings that he has gathered up over the years full of stories of tragedies and, and horrors and children abandoned by their parents and families falling apart. And story after story, he presents these to his brother. And then he says, brother, it's not that I don't believe in God. I just respectfully return him the ticket. And, you know, it took me a while to understand what he meant, but I think that what Ivan means is that he wasn't so much concerned with the intellectual problem of God as the existential problem of God. He was basically saying to his brother, what does your God have to do with the real human experience? What does your truth have to do with all of the varied and confusing and even terrible realities of the actual world that we live in. And friends, the longer that I am a pastor, the more I have come to think that this is actually what people are really after. 
not so much an argument for God, but the relevancy of God. Like, what, what does God have to do with the actual life that I am living and the world that I'm living in, this world of both joys and terrors, this world of triumphs and sorrows? What does that God, what does your God have to do with the world that I'm actually living in? And so you might even be here today thinking, you know, it's not that I don't believe in God. I just respectfully return the ticket. And the reason we're doing the Psalms, one of the reasons is, is because they are one of the most powerful collections of the diversity of human experience in all of literature. In this book, you will find every human circumstance and every human emotion conceivable. You will find people in joy and people in sorrow. You will find people who are elated and people who are literally running for their lives. Uh, you will find people de dealing with depression, to doubt, to fear, to ecstasy. You will find every human emotion and every human circumstance and experience within these pages. And not only that, you will find people who are not only relating to God, but have learned how to talk to God, commune with God, relate to God in every varied and complex circumstance that you will ever face. And so this is an invitation to you this summer, not only to believe this, that God actually does relate to every human experience, but to know how to walk with him and talk with him and commune with him and have a relationship with him in every circumstance that you will ever face from today for the rest of your life. There's a couple of uh, reasons why I'm excited about this series that I think is different from any other series we've done here. First of all, because the Psalms are not just meant to be understood, but they are meant to be done, literally. They are a prayer book in the Bible. They are songs that were meant to be sung and have been sung by the church for millennia. And so every week, we're not just going to preach about the psalm, but we're going to do the psalm. We're going to sing the psalm. We're going to recite the psalm. We're going to pray the psalm. We're actually going to think of creative ways that we can perform and do the psalms together as they were meant to be done. Because we don't just learn as humans through our brains. We also learn through our bodies and our hearts and our souls. Sometimes we learn best through poetry. That's why Emily Dickinson said, you got to tell it slant. You know, sometimes we learn best in multiple forms of pedagogy. And so we're going to do those kinds of things this summer when we gather. But the other reason is, is because this is a crowdsourced sermon series. I'm pretty proud of that. I think, I, I don't know if anybody's ever done that before. But so what we did is we sent out a, a Google form to you a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago. Um, and we asked you for your suggestions on what Psalms we should do this summer. And we didn't just ask you your suggestions. We asked you to tell your stories about why and in what ways these, God has used these Psalms in your life through the ups and downs of, of your own experience. And we heard from you. We heard from many of you. And frankly, some of the stories that you told us are just so beautiful. And it gave me a window. It gave a let, many of us a window into your experience with God. And so we're going to draw from those experiences this summer as well. So today, just as we introduce this book, I want to ask just a few basic questions about the Psalms. First of all, why is it that we need them? Why, why have the people of God said that this is a absolutely necessary part of the Christian life, the Psalms. So why do we need them? Secondly, um, what do they teach us? What do they do to us when we actually use them? And finally, how can we actually use them, especially in prayer? Okay? So first, we're going to ask, why do we need them? And real simple, going to try to keep this as simple as I can. We need them because we need to learn how to pray. Now, some of you might push back on this idea that you need to learn how to pray. Some of you, I can see, are very seasoned saints, uh, and, and you um, have been praying and walking with God for a very long time, and I commit many of you have taught me how to pray, and I'm grateful for that. But I just want to, I think, push back on a, on a bit of a, of, a, of a message that we've often hear, especially as American Christians, that praying is a very easy thing, and all you need to do is just pray what's in your heart. 
right? Speak from your heart. I think we've all heard that before. I have thought that for many years. I thought that praying rote or prescriptive or psalms as prayers was for people who didn't have the creativity and the imagination to pray their own prayers, right? But there's some things that are problematic with this idea of praying our hearts to God. First of all, it's presumptuous. Why would you think that it is, might be so easy to talk to the God of the universe? Do you know what happens in the Bible when people talk to God? They either faint or freak out or die, right? So it does not appear to be just an easy thing to know how to speak to this God. In fact, when the disciples were with Jesus, they were so overwhelmed by his prayer life, despite the fact that they were good Jewish boys who had been raised in the synagogue, that they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. We thought we knew, but we don't. And not only is it presumptuous to think that you can just speak from your heart, but sometimes it's dangerous. It's a nice thought to speak your heart, but what if the wrong things are in your heart? What if deep inside your heart is a desire for a luxury car? What if deep inside your heart is a desire to take vengeance on your boss? Or or worse, what if deep inside your heart is nothing at all, is darkness and coldness? See, it's just not enough, friends, to speak from your heart when it comes to prayer. We need to be instructed. Just like children who learn to speak, we need to learn how to speak to our Father. And how do children learn how to speak? Do you know? Those of you who are parents, how do children learn how to speak? By being spoken to. Right? We'll never forget when one of our uh, daughters was born, we brought her older sister into the hospital um, to meet her younger sister for the first time. And so we took this little baby And we put it in her arms, and here's this little two-year-old holding this tiny little newborn infant in her arms, and she looks down and she says, oh, isn't she just the cutest little thing you've ever seen? (laughs) And Sarah and I looked at each other, we're like, where did she learn that from? And of course, she learned to say that by having those very same words spoken to her. Because children learn how to speak by being spoken to. We learn to speak by being spoken to. We must learn how to speak to God by having God first speak to us. And this is what the Psalms are. These are God's word, not just to us, but for us. God praying on our behalf and through these prayers, giving us the language for prayer. This is why Bonhoeffer says, the richness of God's word ought to determine our prayer, not the poverty of our hearts. If you just rely on the poverty of your heart to enrich your prayer life, you'll stay in preschool. You need to be enriched by God's own word to you through the Psalms. This is why God's people have understood for millennia that the Psalms are God's prayer book. The people of Israel prayed these prayers in corporate worship. The early church used, knew the Psalms by heart. It was their hymn book. In the Reformation, they threw out the hymns and they just embraced the Psalms. They just sang and prayed the Psalms. Christians ranging as widely as St. Benedict to the Pope to Billy Graham have exhorted the regular use of Psalms as tools for prayer. Even Jesus, of all people you'd think, right? Of all people, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would just speak from his heart when he went to pray. But yet when Jesus went to pray, especially in most painful moments, what did he do? He prayed the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. Into my hands I commit my spirit. That's Psalm 31. When Jesus prayed, out came the Psalms. Friends, my own story is that as I um, moved into adulthood, Uh, perhaps because of busyness or hard-heartedness or whatever it might be. And as I entered into seminary, um, I just found increasingly that when I went to pray, nothing was there. I didn't feel God. I struggled to even believe that his presence was there at all. 
Um, I certainly didn't feel anything in my heart. I would try to pray and would just stumble for words. Worries and, and fears would kind of come crashing in on me in times of silence. And I just felt like even though I'd been a Christian for a decade, I had forgotten how to pray. I didn't know how to pray. And so a friend taught me how to pray the Psalms, how to just work through the Psalms and begin to pray them as my own prayers. And friends, it was transformational for me. My prayer life was converted because I was changed. I was taught. I realized I needed God to teach me how to speak to him. I needed to even understand my own emotions and experiences guided by his hand. It revolutionized my prayer life, and it has done that for many, many other saints throughout history. So friends, we want this for you. We need to learn to pray, and the Psalms are the main tool that God has given us to do it, okay? Second, though, what do they do? What do they teach us? What happens when we actually use them in prayer? Well, that's why we're doing this series, and that's what we're going to learn this whole summer, but I just want to focus on one thing right now the Psalms do to us, teach us, because I think this is sort of a, a dominant theme throughout the whole summer as we look at all these various psalms. And that is this, is that they realign our feelings and experiences in the light of reality. They realign our feelings and our experiences in the light of reality. Friends, we modern people have just not been given good advice about our feelings. You know, on the one hand, we've got sort of the whole conservative traditional approach to feelings, which is just you got to suppress your feelings, right? You see that stuff deep down in... That nasty, scary stuff, that raw, uh, dark stuff down inside of you, what do you do with it? You suppress it. You ignore it. You stuff it. This is especially a problem for men. You know, uh, I've sat with couples, and the wife says, he's just so angry. I'm not angry, he says. (laughs) Oh, really, sir? It does seem like you're angry. I'm fine. Um, we, I think even it's, this is especially a problem in the church. I think we have this sense that good, good people, good Christians don't get angry. Good Christians don't get raging mad. <laughs> good Christians don't get depressed. So that's this whole message that we're getting from the traditional conservative viewpoint is suppress your feelings. Then on the other hand, you've got the total opposite, the secular progressive approach to feelings, which basically is about the sovereignty of feelings. Your feelings are really who you are. And there's nothing you can do about it. So just embrace your feelings. It's the real you. Express them in an unqualified way. Express your feelings. So which is the right approach, do you think? Is it to suppress your feelings or is it to unqualified express them? Which is it, you think? Neither. I hope that you're learning these things by now. There's not binaries here in the Christian faith. God gives us a new way, and that is the Psalms, to pray our feelings. On the one hand, when you really get into the Psalms, you see people expressing every kind of emotion and feeling you can imagine. John Calvin called the Psalms the anatomy of all the parts of the human soul. Isn't that beautiful? You've got everything here, friends. Loneliness and happiness, despair and elation, sorrow and doubt, depression and fear, anger, betrayal, confusion, alienation, sadness, torment, and rage. And that's just like the first five Psalms. You know what I mean? Sometimes, I mean, sometimes you read this stuff. Sometimes I'll read a Psalm and, and just the rawness and the hot rage of it all just kind of I'm just asked, what is this doing in the Bible? And I tell you why it's in the Bible, because this is what it means to be human. God is inviting you through the Psalms to be you, to be fully human as you are, and to express all those things within you and to bring it to Him. But here's the thing is that these people are not just expressing their feelings for expression's sake, they are bringing them to God to transform their feelings, to realign them in the light of God's reality, His power, and His mercy, and His love, and His care. This week, I listened to a podcast about training camp for baseball umpires. 
I did not know that this existed. I love the image of this. You know, hundreds of men um, in a field wearing gray slacks and black shirts just staring at pitch after pitch after pitch. Ball, ball, strike, strike, ball, strike, ball. They are learning their job. The job of the umpire is to perceive reality rightly, to see what's there. And we don't like them because our perception of reality differs from theirs, right? (laughs) That's, That's what happens when we fight at the plate. But that's the job of the empire, is to have a right perception of reality. And so many times, our problem is, is that we do not have a right perception of reality. We just don't see clearly. Many of the mistakes we make and the toxic emotions we feel result from a false reading on reality, the wrong call, living under the illusion that I control my life, that I am at the center of my world, and I can use my abilities and money and power to achieve my ends, that I'm in charge of my environment and my circumstances and relationships. Not only is that the wrong call, friends, but it also causes harm. It causes harm to you, increasing anxiety and fear, makes you think too much or too little of yourself. It causes harm to others, damage to your relationships. It leads you to make bad decisions. It drains you of hope. And all of this comes under you living under the illusion of your own control. But then as you take that to the Psalms, you suddenly... Have a new call. The umpire stands in and says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and all who dwell therein. And you suddenly begin to see the world as it actually is, the place of God's reign. You begin to see yourself as you actually are, a little creature belonging to God. And you begin to see God as he actually is, more holy and wise, tender and loving, fearful and beautiful than you have ever imagined him to be. See, the Psalms call us back to reality and realign our feelings and experiences in the light of his love. So when I'm depressed or angry or sad, I go into the Psalms, and not only do I find in the Psalms words that resonate with my feelings and my experience, but then I find what to do with my feelings. I find how to reframe my feelings. I find how to seek help from God within my feelings and the experience of my life. And many times I find God reshaping my desires and feelings, sometimes even giving me new desires that I didn't have before, like gratitude, praise, Thanks. Adoration. I love the story about Rabbi Abraham Heschel, who was teaching his students how to pray the Psalms. And one of his students said, Rabbi, these Psalms do not express what I feel. And the rabbi responded, the Psalm is not supposed to express what you feel. You are supposed to feel what the Psalm expresses. (laughs) And I love that because what we often feel is so bounded by the selfishness and brokenness of our own hearts. And so God has given us the Psalms to not only express our feelings, but then to transform our desires, to transform our feelings, to bring them in alignment with the reality of his loving rule. And that's what they do to us. What a gift God has given us in these things. So that's what they teach us. And then finally, how do we use them? There's so many ways to use the Psalms in prayer. And we're going to try to introduce you to many of these practices this summer. In our Sunday worship, we will sing the psalms, we will pray the psalms, we will use the psalms antiphonally, we will teach you what that means, Uh, we will memorize the psalms, you'll hear different preachers sharing their experience with the psalms. Uh, Personally, I would like to encourage us this summer to personally encourage you to take up the practice of trying to use the psalms in your prayer life. Um, Next week, we'll have available these little um, 30-day guides to praying through the psalms both morning and evening, every day, working through the whole, every month, working through the whole Psalter. Um, I actually own this. This is, a, this is a Psalter. I'm trying to bring this back, right? This is what, you know, people used to carry around all the time. 
we will have these available for you next week. I will give you a good deal, $9.99. You know, we will have these available for you. But honestly, you don't really need a Psalter to pray the Psalms. Uh, you, you, can, you can use the Psalms that are in your own Bible. But the, the point is this, is that we want to use the Psalms this summer not to get information, but to, for transformation. We want to use the Psalms not to know just information about God, but to actually know God and to relate to him and commune with him. Let me just use Psalm 131 as a personal example of how I pray using the Psalms. Psalm 131 is an exceedingly powerful psalm. Uh, Spurgeon called it one of the shortest psalms to read, one of the longest psalms to learn. It's especially beautiful for people who suffer uh, with stress and feeling overwhelmed, which is me about every other day, if you know me well. And so for me, over the years, Psalm 131 has become like a precious, precious treasure to me. Um, I return to it again and again. And what I do when I pray psalms is I basically just do these three things. I read, I read the psalm, I, I reflect on the psalm. What does this mean? How is it meeting me in the place where I am? And then finally, I respond to it. Um, I, I respond to God using the psalm as a map for my own prayer. You know, if you imagine a Christmas tree, and you, you know, the Christmas tree is there, and you just come and ornament it with ornaments and lights and garland. The psalm is like that. It's, it's, it's the Christmas tree, and when you come to the Christmas tree, you are using it to ornament your own prayers to God, hanging your own experiences and feelings on that psalm, learning to express yourself through it. So when I come to Psalm 131, I read it, and the first thing that I notice when I reflect on it is that it does not appear to be at all what I am actually feeling and experiencing. <laughs> this tranquility, this calmness, this quietness of spirit, when I meditate on this psalm, I often actually feel quite the opposite. Um, David Paulson, who's a counselor, wrote an anti-psalm 131. And it goes like this. Self, my heart is proud. I'm absorbed in myself. My eyes are haughty. I look down on others. I chase after things too great and too difficult for me. So, of course, I'm noisy and restless inside. It comes naturally. Like a hungry infant fussing on his mother's lap. Like a hungry infant, I'm restless with my demands and worries. I scatter my hopes Unto anything and everybody all the time. Yeah, so that's where I find myself a lot of times. And it's good because when I read the psalm, I suddenly I'm exposed with how detached I am from reality. How detached from who God wants me to be, that so much of the static and noise and anxiety in my life comes from my pride, an outside view of myself. That I want approval, I want respect, I want satisfaction, I want compensation for how people have wronged me. I want a meaningful job in which I'm never bored. I want nicer stuff, a restful vacation, compliant children, especially on Father's Day. You know, I want control. I want my way. I want my will. These are not things that I say out loud, although I do see I'm saying that out loud right now. But they are things that are always battering around in my own soul. And my restlessness and anxiety so often result from believing that I am bigger than I am, concerning myself with things that are out of my control, and denying and forgetting God's good and powerful love. And so the psalm calls me back to the truth. And I begin to respond to God. God, I don't want my heart to be proud. I confess to you it is. I do realize and admit to you that I concern myself with with matters. They're just out of my hands, way too big. I'm not in charge of my life. I'm not in charge of the world. Still my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. I don't know if you've ever seen a... A nursing child, when it sits on the mother's lap, it's fussy and 
rooting around for its food. And, but when a child is weaned, it begins to see the mother not as a food source, but as someone to love. And it can rest in the mother's arm, not wanting anything, but just the closeness and love of the mother. And I realize now, God, that that's what you want in me, that I would stop using you as a means to get what I want, fussing and demanding when I don't get my way, but to rest at peace in your arms, knowing that I have everything I need, that I am a little child in your arms, and all that I need and all that I will ever need is now met in you. So that's how I use it. And we want to invite you to use the Psalms this summer so that your praying would also be directed by God's own word to you and that you would find not only that your prayers are being shaped by God's word, but that your heart is changed in the process. Friends, what is it that ultimately enables you to pray and address God? Is it having the right words? Is it having the right techniques, the right time and place? No, it's none of those things. Ultimately, it is the gospel. Don't forget that. You have what you need. And that is the person and the grace of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news that through Jesus you have access to the God who loves you. Jesus lived and he died and he rose. And he did it not just to forgive you of your sin, but he did it, this is amazing, to give you the same depth of a relationship with God the Father as he has himself. He wants to be your brother. He wants to give you God as his father. And he wants you to have the same intimate prayerful relationship with God that he has himself and how beautiful it is, how incredible it is that God not only gives us access to himself through Jesus, but he gives us the very same prayers that Jesus himself used to nurture his own relationship with God. And so friends, as you sit and pray this week, I pray that you would carve out time to pray. You would pick up the Psalms and as you do so, you would see Jesus not just bringing you into the Father's presence through his sacrifice of his life and death for you, but that you would also see him with you, praying with you, teaching you his own words through the Psalms, putting his own voice on your lips, bringing you into the Father's presence, coming alongside you, reminding you of reality, helping you to become fluent in the language of prayer. So to close today, friends, we're going to use Psalm 131, and we're going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, You're not going to sing it. Kim and Chris are going to sing it in this adaptation. And so I would invite you to receive this song as a prayer and that you would use it as your own prayer. Let God take these words and to reshape your own desires and affections for the God who loves you. Please listen with open ears.